Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts, part of the Heroes Podcast Network. This is Big Episode 69. I'm one of your regular hosts, Greg Bosco, and with me as always is my very, very handsome looking co-captain, Derek. Say hello, buddy. Hey, Greg. Good to be back. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. And I actually think today, everybody, we're going to be talking about probably one of the most controversial Star Trek topics in the history of Star Trek, I would say. Because uh, everybody's on one side of the aisle. We're going to do a little bit of a uh, retrospective on the Kelvin universe. Because tomorrow is the 10-year anniversary since Star Trek, the Star Trek came out in 2009. <laughs> the Star Trek. Yeah, Star Trek, the Star Trek. I mean, Star Trek 2009 just doesn't sound right. Yeah, I mean, that's what IMDb calls it. Um, just to clarify, so we're recording on Tuesday, May 7th. So our tomorrow is Wednesday, May 8th. Um, which is not your tomorrow if you're listening. So it's it's a weird time travel thing. Just just go watch, you know, Back to the Future, and it'll all make sense. Totally, totally. But you know, it's it's fun because uh, the Kelvin universe. I don't know. I mean, we could might as well just jump right into it. There's not really a lot of Star Trek news going on right now. I mean, they just were talking about the other day. The uh, CBS is kind of creating what the Star Trek, um, almost like the TV universe type thing. But they already got that, so... Yeah. Well, this this is a little more expansive. So they're kind of in... Without naming it, so they basically created their own Star Trek production studio within CBS that will focus on more than just television. So there's supposed to be things like events and perhaps, like, parks, uh, podcasts, which they've tried once before with Engage, the official Star Trek podcast, um, things like that. So, I mean, I think it's a little too early to know exactly what the breadth of it will be. I assume it has more to do with just having an arm that focuses solely on Trek, since we're going to have, you know, two shows, two full shows on um, CBS All Access by the, by next year, three shows um, at some point. You've got Lower Decks, which would be a fourth, the Nickelodeon show, which would be a fifth. Short Treks is still in there. So I think they just kind of, they want somebody looking over the Trekverse. Which is probably a good idea, especially with all the commentary lately of people on CBS and Paramount and all that, all worried about canon and trying to stay as close as they can to the story. And it's hard to do that if you've got five independent functionaries almost creating their own stuff. So mm-hmm. it kind of, I kind of get it. It's what Marvel did with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which has obviously been doing pretty damn good. And I, I have a personal theory on all of this. So there's still talks um, that Viacom will re-merge CBS and Paramount, um, which is where today's topic really stems from is the way the Star Trek rights are owned. Um, and so if that merger were to come back together, CBS having its own Star Trek studio would probably be a good way to handle Trek moving forward once it was all under one roof again. Yeah, especially with all of the potential projects they're working on. I mean, hell, people are talking about wanting a Christopher Pike TV show with number one. And uh, I almost said Ethan Hunt from Mission Impossible, but not Ethan Hunt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> freaking Ethan Peck as Spock. 
So, I mean, they can't even finish one show without people wanting another show as a spinoff from that show right now. Which is, again, oh, the, yeah. the Trek fan base is just fired up. I think that's a good thing. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I did want to paint a picture, a word picture for you as we begin our Kelvin timeline retrospective. So, do you remember 2009, Greg? I remember the year vaguely. <laughs> so, I thought it would be interesting if I just kind of went over some of the popular movies that also came out in 2009 to kind of put some perspective into into this a little bit. So, of course, Star Trek came out on May 8th, 2009, but we also had the likes of Sherlock Holmes with Robert Downey Jr., the first one of those inglorious bastards came out zombie land came out in 2009 uh we're finally getting a sequel to that later this year and avatar which still has yet to see a sequel even though um there's one in production now and they've got five uh two two through five greenlit so to speak by disney um the hangover came out in 2009 500 days of summer these these are these movies feel so old to me yeah they actually when you when you started getting to like inglorious bastards and the hangover one i was like oh holy cow this is i mean it's it's literally a full decade it's 10 years for me it's actually three apartments one house uh like four jobs i think Mm. in 10 years that's uh when you put it in perspective like that, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's a long time ago, and I think it's easy to forget how long it's been, because um, the, the movies have held up pretty well over the last decade, so it's hard to really think back and, and see 2009 as being a full decade ago. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I just kind of wanted to put people back in that mindset as we got started today. And, you know, since we're talking about getting started, let's... Uh... We, Derek and I always do a quick, like, 30-second overview of an episode or a story before we dive into it. But, so before we before we get into the details of the Kelvin universe, you know, are you happy it exists? Like, I'm, I'm at least happy it exists, because <laughs> I think it really reinvigorated interest in Star Trek at a good time. You know, I'm not always happy with every storyline decision they've made, or the constant questions that have resulted of the show, the show's. Of the movies existing. Um, I think it really helped jumpstart a lot of careers. Even though at the same time as Star Trek, the Star Trek, Zoe Saldana was also doing Avatar. But it really helped make Chris Pine kind of more of a... Now he's everywhere. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's everywhere. And, you know, but so what are your, what are your thoughts on Kelvin? Aside from our one of our least favorite Trek movies ever, but... Well, just to piggyback on what you were saying a little bit, you talk about careers getting jump-started, and a lot of people forget that Thor, God of Hammers, um, was, you know, Kirk's father, you know? Uh, he uh, He's in the 2009 film in that opening sequence that's, I mean, personally, one of the coolest sequences in Star Trek, um, and so well done, in my opinion. But yeah, he's he's right there, playing Kirk's dad, and there's been rumors that maybe Star Trek Four will see some alternate universe time travel where they can bring him back. But, uh, you know, the Kelvin timeline is, is interesting to me, because I, uh, I like 2009, and I really like Beyond, and I appreciate that it did kick life back into... A franchise that, if we're being honest with ourselves and each other, was was pretty dead by this point. Um, you know, Enterprise went off the air in May of 2005, which meant that there was a solid four years between the end of Enterprise and the launch of this new Star Trek movie. And that might not sound like a lot when you realize that Avatar's sequel still hasn't shown up 10 years later, but for Star Trek... That four-year gap was the longest gap between Star Trek since 1987. <laughs> um, when you look at it like that, that's <laughs> that's that's substantial. And there were still movies back then, so you know you'd have to go back even farther for that gap. You might actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I have to check some of the dates. You might have to go back to 1979 for the motion picture and the gap between that and the animated series. Um, so you know it. 
it was a weird time for Trek and the franchise had stagnated and had stopped. They tore down the experience in Las Vegas at the Hilton, um, which most of us took as a bad omen. But after the Kelvin movies came out, you can kind of understand now why they did that. Um, I think if anything bad came from the Kelvin timeline at all, it's the confusion that the fan base still has about it and the arguments that are created due to the confusion and not discussions and discourse because it exists. Um, and by that, I mean, I still, to this day, see posts in discovery, you know, fan groups and social groups and other things asking, you know, does this take place? Does discovery take place in the same timeline as the new movies or, you know, discovery is not in the prime timeline and, and things like that. And so I, before we dive into the films and, and the characters and the plots and so forth, I just wanted to have one last kind of quick summary of the two main timelines. So the prime timeline is the content in the original series, the animated series, next generation, deep space nine Voyager enterprise, the 10 movies that consist of the TOS and TNG crew and now discovery as well as short treks. So those are all prime timeline. Those exist in the same timeline. Continuity issues aside, that's a separate conversation that could be had, but they are supposed to exist in the same timeline. The Kelvin timeline consists of Star Trek 2009, Star Trek Into Darkness, and Star Trek Beyond, which we'll be talking about today, in addition to um, a video game that was a tie-in to uh, between 09 and Into Darkness that um, they made canon, as well as some comic books. So um, that's it. Those are your two main timelines. There's lots of headcanon and theories about Enterprise existing in its own timeline because of the episode Regeneration and it being a sequel to First Contact. Um, you know, there's talks about Discovery being in its own timeline and all the alternate futures and things. But that's it. You have those two official timelines. And if you think about so it, we're, it's, it's even more firm than that because they say it in the freaking in 2009 Star Trek. When they're talking about the time travel and even Uhura's like it's an alternate reality. They legitimately mm -hmm. say it on screen. So yeah, it's two completely separate universes. Love them or not. Like them or not. <laughs> but you know what? If Star Wars fans can learn to live with legacy and modern Star Wars, Star Trek fans can kind of accept two multiple universes. It's not ideal. But the movies are here. We can't we can't unsee them or uncreate them as much. <laughs> You know, as much as you and I joke about Into Darkness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I'm completely with you. And um, I just I just want people to be aware of how they're defined. That's all. You know, do they have problems in both of those timelines? Absolutely. There's continu continuity issues within individual shows, let alone across shows. Um, so, I, you know, there's two different conversations to be had. So we're going to be talking about the Kelvin timeline that starts with the 2009 Star Trek film. And I mean, at the end of the day, like him or hate him, I think you're right, Greg, it brought life back to the franchise and we probably would not have discovery or any of the in development shows if it wasn't for these movies. And I have a perfect comparison. That's also in a sci-fi universe. That's also experiencing a rebirth. Look at what's going on with modern Star Wars and the sudden people reevaluating the prequels because Star Wars Force Awakens and Star Wars Last Jedi were so divisive among the community that people are looking back to the old prequel movies, the old prequel movies, the prequels movies, you know, 97, 2000, 2003 or whatever. And they're looking at them going, there was something campy and homey about those prequels. They were goofy. <laughs> they were silly. But then you look at the modern day Star Wars and it's just like everything is almost like formulaic. It's like things are in there because they have to be in there. So who knows? Maybe in... Ten more years, people are going to look back in the Kelvin universe and be like, "Aw, they were they were cute <laughs> movies. They were great movies, except for Into Darkness." But you know, Star Trek Beyond, you and I have talked about, and we're going to get into our, our more in depth discussion soon. But I'll say this right now: Star Trek Beyond is one of the best Star Trek movies I've ever seen. It's I. It's a bold statement, I, but I'm with you. I love it. It's right up there with two, four, and six to me, and First Contact. It's those five are just. They're amazing. And when people are talking about, for, like, Beyond is as bad as Star Trek V, I'm like, stop. You can't say that with a straight face. 
I mean, for God's sake. Anyways, let's, let's turn it back over to you because you, you're, you're much more organized right now with your thought process than I am. No, it's all good. So um, really the, the goal here today is not to review all three movies. We don't have the time for that. And if you want to hear some version of those reviews, I did that a few months ago with a couple of, of co-hosts who helped me while, while Greg was away. So you can listen to those. And I'm sure we'll do them, Greg and I, together at some point in the future. But I just wanted to look back on the trilogy and the timeline that now exists 10 years later and um, – kind of see how the films held up things that we we really liked about them as a whole, maybe things we didn't um, things that worked, maybe things that didn't work. And we might bounce around a little bit. I don't want us to feel like we have to do this in order or anything like that. So one, I want, I wanted to kind of start with the aesthetic and that's mainly because we've got some upcoming episodes where we're going to cover some stuff like this. For example, like ship designs, uniform designs, um, you know, perhaps even like, technology designs and i think the kelvin timeline is a great place to start the conversation because you know it's the first time any of that had to be truly reimagined in 25 years give or take um and greg i'm curious what how do you feel about the kelvin enterprise that we have in these three movies you know i like the look of it aside from the fact that i know it's just gigantic like, like I, I know the lore behind it. It's a, it's a large ship compared to other enterprises that we know about. I think it looks good. I'm actually okay with the more sleek design. Uh, and I'll admit, you know, I I, lo- I actually am one of those people. I love the Disco Enterprise look. I love it. Uh, I think it I think it looks like a modern, uh, just a modernized, stylized, old school Enterprise. The Kelvin Enterprise. I while I can say I like it. I I like it in the way that I like the the stargazer and that I like the way it looks, but I'll admit, I don't have the emotional connection I have to the Kelvin enterprise that I do with NCC one seven Oh one. That's Scotty's drinking his scotch on in the sixties or, you know, the one that's fighting Khan or the one that's going, you know, that they, they pick up in star dock after the end of star Trek four or the enterprise D the first time you see it separate. I don't have the emotional connection with the Kelvin enterprise. I can say it looks good. But I think there's a big difference, you know, I can say that, you know, I could find a human good looking and have no emotional connection to him. And that's kind of what I mean. It's, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the looks or the aesthetics or if it's just from the movies, but I, it's just, it doesn't stand out to me. Mm-hmm. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. That's interesting. Um, I, I'm not thrilled that it's so much larger than all the other ships. I felt like a strange decision to kind of up the size of everything because i mean it's substantially larger than even the enterprise e that we see in the the last couple films and um the nacelles i always thought were a little out of whack size wise but i like it i do it's clearly uh, you know the enterprise is clearly a constitution class ship um i think there's very little question there where in some other aspects of the kelvin films they they strayed farther from design um Overall, though, I think I'm with you. I mean, the, the Discovery Enterprise, I think, is fantastic. Um, it's more minor changes. It's more to make it more detailed, you know, where the original, of course, was on, you know, fishing wire. Um, but for the new one, I mean, I I wanted to – I think I wanted to see more ships maybe to compare it to. Like the Kelvin I always really liked. I, I think that the Kelvin, the first ship we really get to see um, in the beginning of 2009, looks really cool. And I love the little – 
the phaser guns that pop up when they go into battle i thought was really neat the whole plating was really cool you could see that you know that there's like individual plates um which made it seem more real um and maybe the problem is that you know the enterprise the enterprise doesn't really feel that real in in these movies um it probably feels the most real and beyond ironically <laughs> um, yeah, you know which which is i guess a a positive to that film but maybe a negative to the other two well no and like i'm with you i actually like the phaser cannons i know people whined about them but you know after seeing them on the defiant for so many years i think there's just something natural about phasers with the long laser with a long phaser blast look cool but there's something that the human brain, when it sees rapid fire blasts or plasma bolts or phaser bolts or whatever it might be, that's pretty – the human brain just likes it. It looks cool. It sounds cool. It, it's interesting. It's neat. And yeah, the phaser can is like – I liked it. Like the, the opening of 2009 with the Kelvin. That was a, that was a great Star Trek battle. That was everything I wanted oh, in, yeah. a star, in a Starfleet battle with a Starfleet ship against the, the Romulan um, – the Narada. the Narada, that's it. Holy cow! But you know, watching the phasers going to like auto firing, I'm like, hell! People don't even realize today that you at modern U.S. naval ships, the missile systems on the Aegis cruisers and destroyers, the Arleigh Burks and the Ticonderogas, there's not a dude in the missile launcher firing the missiles. They plug it into the computer, and the computer auto tracks with radar systems and targets incoming enemy missiles. So. 200 years from now, of course they're going to be doing that. There's not going to be a guy in a phaser mm-hmm. cannon manually firing the gun so because i know people whined about the auto tracking and everything i'm like that actually we do that today <laughs> so, so <laughs> i mean hell there's so, so i actually liked it i thought it looked great yeah and i mean that opening with the kelvin is is one of my favorite sequences in star trek um it's just really well done it's intense you're introduced to a bunch of characters you don't know um that you immediately care about they're all really compelling the acting is phenomenal it's it's just a really intense scene and seeing george kirk go out like that is just it sets the tone for the whole film let alone maybe the rest of that trilogy because it shows you you know who he was who those people are and what they were willing to do he just you know he he saves he saves 800 people you know, um, and it's a good moment. It's, it's really cool. It's, it's just really well done around the board. Even the, the, the visual effects are great. You know, um, this was the first, this was the first time we got to see a big budget Star Trek film in a long time because Nemesis and Insurrection both, both didn't really have massive budgets. This was the first big one that could actually compete with the budget of a Star Wars film. You know, and we got pretty good effects coming out of that. I mean, the battle sequence is great. Um, you know, people get sucked into space and the sound cuts out. And, of course, they don't do that for everything because that would make a boring movie, even if it's scientifically accurate. Um, but it's just, it's a really impressive sequence. No, I completely agree with you. And it's it's the exact way you want to open up a Star Trek movie when there's been such a substantial gap. You immediately grab people's attention and in 10 minutes or less, you introduce the name Kirk and you introduce the villain and you introduce that things are drastically different. And this, the, the USS Kelvin got destroyed, got absolutely decimated. And you're already getting an idea of, of the scenario. And yeah, I mean, it looked great. It sounded great. The feel was good. And it also reminds me of, I remember the original teaser trailer for 2009 Star Trek, that little 45, 60 second clip. When they're playing like the start the uh, the space speeches from like John F. Kennedy and all that, and you're seeing them build the Enterprise like that's how like that was a good damn that damn good teaser back in the day because people are watching it and you're like what's going on and then it's just you hear Spock's voice or Leonard Nimoy's voice you know space the final frontier and you're like yes everybody in the theater is just cheering because there's going to be another Star Trek movie and that's what the opening of this movie does is it's a good opening for the Kelvin timeline I thought. Yeah, that teaser still is one of my favorite teasers. Um, it definitely struck a chord with me and the poster for this movie, the black and white poster with the Enterprise at Warp, might be my favorite individual Star Trek poster. 
Um, I have it <laughs> like it's, it's wonderful. Um, so, I mean, the marketing around this movie, I thought did such a great job. If, if nothing else, the marketing team really, uh, pushed, pushed everything for this. Um, so, so moving on, of course, we, we, we have our new, um, new aesthetics interior, right? We've got our uniforms, which we basically have three versions of in our three movies. We have the 2009 ones, which are also used in into darkness partially, which are kind of just like t-shirts with the Delta shield symbol all over them. Then you have the more militaristic uniforms you see in into darkness. And then you have the beyond uniforms, which um, are very clean. They're a little more reminiscent of the show. What do you think about the uniforms? I was actually okay with the uniforms. They're different enough to be different and standalone, but I like that they're still close enough to resemble what the old school uniforms were like. I do think that the Beyond uniforms were my favorite just because they were so crisp and clean. Um, they were very, <clears throat> excuse me, very, not military is the wrong word, but they were very, they were very uniform uniforms. And <laughs> I know Starfleet is kind of a, a pseudo multifaceted entity. You and I have been joking about this for two years now. It's part exploration, part science, part diplomatic, part military. And I think the uniforms represent a good military part where things are, Things are equal. I mean, there's that scene in Beyond where Kirk's like, oh, things are starting to feel a little episodic. And he opens up his closet and he's got, you know, 30 of the same uniform. I'm like, that's that's military. It's like we're not going to we're not going to give him 10 different dress uniforms. He's got one dress uniform for when an admiral visits, one off duty uniform and 30 of the main daily unis I'm like that. I actually so the Beyond were my favorite. I actually have one of each, I admit. So I. I don't like the militaristic ones in Into Darkness um, just because there's no color to them. And one of the things that the Kelvin timeline got right, especially in 09 and, and, and beyond, is the color scheme. Everything is very bright and popping and colorful. And you have the gold, blue, red of the original series, and it's very pronounced. Um, Into Darkness, one of the reasons that I'm not as big a fan of it one of the more minor reasons is that it's a much darker, more monotone, subdued color film. And those uniforms are just like gray, you know, there's not, there's nothing to them really. And, um, you know, an argument can be made that, you know, that's similar in discovery because they're, they're very just blue, but that's more of bridging the gap between enterprise and the original series than anything else. Um, the Beyond ones, I think, are great. I love the Beyond uniforms. I have one of those myself. I think they're the closest to matching the original series. Um, at the same time, I think Discovery may have borrowed that design a bit for its TOS Enterprise era uniforms that, honestly, I think I might like a little more. Um, <laughs> the Discovery Enterprise uniforms are my favorite ones outside of Monster Maroons. <sighs> they're so good. They are gorgeous. They're so good. Um. And, uh, but that scene though, that you're talking about and beyond where, you know, Kirk's giving his monologue and he makes the episodic joke, which might be one of the best jokes written in Star Trek, uh, very self-aware of course. Um, but it, it's very telling, right? It, it, they're trying really hard to put you in this position of, you know, the five-year mission's always been the big, the big thing, right? That's your goal. We're going on our five-year mission, but no one ever talks about it and what that means. And the idea that like, they're just out there by themselves. And yeah, they've got some stuff to do from time to time, but most of it's just quiet nothingness. And Voyager touches on that a couple of times as it's trying to journey home. And even Enterprise does a little bit during the Zindi arc, but uh, Star Trek tends to be very populated with with other species and, and things like that. And so this, I think, was a good way to kind of put that tone in place. Um, fun personal story, the Delta shield that Kirk has on his mug that he's drinking, uh, out of in that scene. I actually got that Delta shield tattooed on my shoulder blade. Oh, look at you. Yeah. But this, this, this kind of segues <laughs> from what you were just talking about. Cause we, we've talked about some of the aesthetics, the uniforms. I want to talk about the setting that 2009 created because it's an alternate timeline because they don't want to mess with Canon, which is, which is kind of clever, but you know, it's an alternate timeline where, you know, the Vulcans come back in time. And by the way, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, the, the Kelvin Universe Star Trek films, I love that you're listening to Red Shirts and Runabouts. But maybe start <laughs> at like episode zero or episode one of Red Shirts <laughs> before coming up to 69. But if you're already here, that's great. You can listen to us. You know, when when 
I, it surprised me in 2009 when they destroy Vulcan, but I get what they're doing because they're trying to delineate completely. This is a brand new freaking timeline and here's what's going on. And that's what, that's one reason why into darkness bothered me so much was because I thought the setting they had created was unique with, you know, kind of advancing the careers of star of star Trek personnel a little bit, kind of, uh, you know, Vulcan is destroyed that's kind of a neat thing to do because we've never really seen that before, really. A planet get destroyed like that. And then Into Darkness comes around and it's almost like a villain of the week feeling where they're not really using the universe. I remember I remember when Admiral Marcus is talking to Kirk and he's like, oh, the, the, eventually the Klingons will attack us. You know, in the past year they've seized two colonies. I'm like, two? I'm like, for God's sake, when the Klingons invaded the Cardassians in Deep Space Nine, they conquered like 45 colonies in the first hour. Because I remember, like the outer, I remember that line from Kira to Cisco or Jedzia to Cisco, and she's like, "From what we can tell, the the Cardassian outer colonies were overrun instantly." And then I'm like, two? That doesn't make them sound that bad." I mean, for, they they almost went to war over the the planet Organia, and they've been firing on each other for decades in Star Trek. So I'm like, they were trying to create a villain of the week so you can introduce, you know. You know, I almost want to call him Kant, but Khan, because he's, you know, and I'm like, the Klingons are not the way to do it. Not like that. Now, if you're like, turns out the Klingons have been encroaching on the neutral zone for the past year and they've captured five Federation ships and they seized 19 neutral worlds. I'm like, oh, okay, they're kind of a threat. I can understand what Starfleet's doing, but imagine Picard going to Necheyev and going, the Romulans have taken two planets that we really don't give a shit about. Starfleet Command's going to be like, well... Not the neutral zone, so what do we care? That's what I mean. Is it just you made this awesome setting with Vulcan being destroyed, and you could have done the next movie to be an exploration movie about finding the Vulcans a new homeworld, finding new Vulcan that they talk about, or something, anything, and instead it turns into a villain of the week with the Klingons on screen for seven minutes and Khan. And I was like, that's that's where you go. Yeah. I mean, I'm completely with you. I gave J.J. Abrams and crew a ton of credit for coming up with an in-universe explanation to be able to do whatever the hell they wanted. You know, they created this alternate timeline within the rules established in the universe before them. And that set them free. And they took them one movie to do it. They did a good job in that movie. And then they can do anything they want after that. Anything. And they decide to redo wrath of khan but nowhere near as good and i think that's why beyond for me is so great because beyond is so new and fresh and different it's not star trek that we've had before for better or for worse it is different star trek it's a new story it has new characters it has new villains it has a new concept behind it you know and i appreciated that for what that was um into darkness felt like a step backwards you know they opened up this wide universe this colorful bright exciting universe made intense changes to it and then took a step back to tell a dark story that we kind of already know and to your points you know i i just think that all stands so well and again um, there's a there's a two minute solution to into darkness and I'm, i'm i've said this before on our podcast Remember the scene when Carol Marcus and Kirk are in the shuttle and she's like stripping and she's changing her uniform and like every like so many people yeah. hated that. Do you know what would have made that scene instantly better? Is if she did actively try to seduce Kirk. And then later on in the movie it turns out she's the evil one, not her dad. And she's the evil one trying to do all this shit and he thinks they're great ideas or whatever, but he doesn't realize his daughter's crazy. Like make her the villain. Make her seduce Kirk. And now all of a sudden Kirk's at the end going well, shit, I have feelings for her. Like, make, make, give him conflict because there's no conf, there's no personal conflict in the, in the entire show aside from Admiral Marcus just being a douche. But he's, he's basically <laughs> a douche from the moment you meet him. Nobody likes him. You know, don't spread it out, Kirk, and tomorrow's too late. I'm like, good God, no Admiral talks like that. But again, it's like that one scene, you flip it a little bit, you make her the power choice, you make her the villain, and you make, Kirk in a conflicted emotional sense of now trying to navigate the woman that he's now has feelings for and the audience, you know, that him, him and Carol Marcus in the prime timeline, they have a kid. Now all of a sudden people are like, holy cow, I don't, 
it gives him something to think about versus Admiral Marcus is like mu- like mustache twirling villain and Khan is just mustache twirling villain. And don't get me wrong, I love Benedict Cumberbatch. He did a great job. He's got a great screen presence. He's got a great voice. It's the story that I hate. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. You're, you're absolutely right. And I mean, th- it wasn't a subtle movie at all. You know, I mean, the vengeance alone is the least subtle thing that I think has ever existed in Star Trek. But, um, but, but yeah. So let's let's not harp too much on on Into Darkness, though. Let's let's see. What are some other areas that we can touch on here? So, I think the destruction of Vulcan is a really interesting one because, you know, Vulcan is one of the founding members of the Federation. They're obviously very important. Enterprise shows that they almost, you know guided us to creating the federation to put us in the position to lead that um if it wasn't for their help who knows how long that might have taken of course the argument early on in in enterprise is that they were holding us back right that's kind of the discussion so the vulcans are big spock of course is incredibly influential and the whole reason he ends up back in time is because he's trying to save romulus uh with the with um with the red matter and everything so you know i guess the question is you know what types of effects would that have had the destruction of Vulcan that is on the Federation? You know, we, we see minor impact on the enterprise crew, mainly because of Spock and his family being directly involved. But I would have liked to have seen what happened with the Andorians and the Tellarites. Were they involved at all? Did they give aid? Are they interested in the conversation in any type of way? Um, what else happened to that system? You know, an entire planet just ceases to exist. There's going to be gravitational changes in that system. Were there other colonies that Vulcans had built on moons or other planets within their own system? What happened to them? It's it's interesting that they didn't go that route because I think they could have told some very interesting stories with that. Well, and, you know, where would New Vulcan have ended up? Yeah, and you bring up a good point is we don't even really know what's going on throughout the rest of the galaxy through all three movies almost at all. Yeah, we know the Klingons are kind of proving to be trouble, troublesome or problematic, but really that's Star Trek. They've been problems for us ever since until the Kittimer Alliance or the Kittimer Accords. So we have no idea what's going on with the Romulans or any other species. Very few new species are even introduced. I Really, they're not. It's even in Beyond, which I love. Yeah, they kind of introduce some new species, but for the most part, it's Beyond is more of a a character-driven story, if you ask me, which I loved. It was mm-hmm. the characters are responding to things around them. They're creating new events, which I love. But Into Darkness, yeah, I see what you mean. Is It was a little step back, and then Beyond tried to kind of course correct. And you're right. We don't know what's really going on in the universe at all. With the destruction of Vulcan, you could have done, you know, you could have done something where, okay, so here's a perfect example of how sometimes the story doesn't make sense is Admiral Marcus gets violent because of the Klingons. When my argument is maybe the destruction of Vulcan turns the Federation more violent. Maybe the destruction of one of the founding members turns the other three and Doria, Telar and earth into, um, more, a more aggressive Federation to more defend their borders. We, I mean, you could have even done something with that where there's still an exploration component of star Trek, of course. But I mean, even right there, it's a subtle change, but I'm not talking like yesterday's enterprise drastic they're at war with you know the Klingons or something but nobody really even seems to bring it up I mean yeah it's it happened and that's it and that's that's definitely what I'm kind of thinking of because you know I, I know in most of the movies we don't get a good look at the galaxy but none of those movies really change the entire galaxy you know and so I I would have liked to have seen some of that even if it had been conference table conversation that some of the older movies may have been picked on for maybe that's why they didn't do it they didn't have an exciting story to tell with that but i think it could have been interesting i think they could have definitely focused on the vulcan refugees the political and social impact to the federation things of that nature um i think like Marcus was trying to play off of the destruction of Vulcan, right? Because the Narada had all this incredibly advanced technology and the Klingons have some of that technology. Um, it's not shown really in the movies, but it is in some of the canon comic books. Um, that's a separate conversation. But, um, you know, those events of 2009 lead Marcus to 
become very aggressive and paranoid and things of that nature. And, you know, you, we end up with essentially a section 31 story. Um, what I, what I like about beyond is that while it doesn't explore the whole universe, you're right. It's a character story and it's an introspective story. The enemy is ourselves. We've created our own enemies by alienating our own people, right? It's kind of the, the idea of beyond. And that's a very star Trek message. You know, the 2009 film doesn't have much of a message it's more of just setting up this whole new universe it had a big job to do into darkness also doesn't really have much of a message it just has a bad guy who's manipulated another guy who becomes a bad guy and they fight you know (laughs) that's all that into darkness is um i like the introspective nature of beyond i like that we can create our own worst enemies right um, I think that's a cool concept that, you know, you don't see a whole lot. Um, and it's something that Marvel has done from time to time. One of the things Marvel gets kind of beat up for, at least at the MCU, that is, is that the hero and the villain tend to match each other on what their powers are. But some of the time it's because they've created their own villain. No, and that, that, you know, like yeah. in the original. That's a great point. And uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it's just another reminder of the fact that. Beyond and 2009 were not contained stories. They could have gone anywhere with those stories, and they did in both movies. They explored upon a lot of stuff, even like Beyond, the exploration of the human spirit with fighting against ourselves, kind of. And Into Darkness, it was just, it, it almost, like, even when, so they used Khan to create the biggest starship ever. Like, it literally took that to for somebody to go, you know what, why don't we just take the Enterprise and build it something five times the size? I mean, it this the plot, like, alone doesn't make sense, but the plot of Beyond, it's like the more you're watching it, because you're like, oh, this is kind of neat. Yeah, look at that Yorktown station. That's kind of cool. Oh, look at that. Look at the people. Look at the technology. Oh, what the hell's going on? And then it grasps you. It drags you in. It pulls you in. You want to know more about the universe. Nobody wants to know more about the Hint of Darkness world. Um, it's, it's at least not the two of us. Well, it's like you're joking about the uh, the the Klingons and in Into Darkness do have some of the Narada technology, and yet Khan's able to shoot him down with a hip mounted phaser. I know it's like a phaser cannon, but he can still shoot him down. I'm like, Jesus Christ! What would a Starfleet? What would the Enterprise's phaser do to those bird of prey? But anyways, but yeah, I don't want to harp on Into Darkness anymore. But it's it's you're right though. I can't agree with you enough. Is there's a difference between a self contained story. And a story that opens up additional possibilities. Like, I think after Beyond, I remember you and I have talked about this. They could have made three more films. Easily. Mm-hmm. I mean, the money, obviously, is a problem, but... Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the sad part. I was actually looking on IMDb, and to my shock, Beyond has the lowest score. Um, the The 2009 film has an 8.0. Um, Into Darkness has a 7.7. And Beyond has a 7.1. And that's just really shocking to me because if I had to pick one of those movies, it would be beyond. And I was curious what people thought about this. So I actually decided to do a poll on Twitter for us because disco may be over, but I can keep doing polls all I want. So, um, (laughs) so I asked people, which is their favorite of the Kelvin films? Because, you know, it's the 10th anniversary and I wanted to know. And so we got our results and 71% said beyond 71 percent um 19 percent said the 2009 film and 10 percent said into darkness and so I, I mean i'm a little surprised beyond was that high much higher than than either of the others but i mean i think that's pretty telling that maybe the reason beyond was not financially successful is because it was the like it was a true star trek tale it was a star trek story it was old star trek storytelling and maybe general audiences are just not that interested in that kind of story anymore i mean and that's that's entirely possible and that's unfortunate but then you look at i mean some other movies out there that we don't really have a lot of like space adventure films anymore star trek was really it Mm -hmm. but you can kind of call Guardians of the Galaxy that, but it's an MCU film with a different kind of cast and a different kind of story and different kind of humor. But there's no traditional. I mean, I'm not obviously Star Wars. I'm not. I'm not a complete moron. But 
what other space adventure films do we have right now? There's nothing to really compare it to. And even Star Wars is having struggles with its identity. And Into Darkness, I think, was struggling with its identity for two hours and beyond. What hurt it at first is I think that first god-awful trailer that came out. And I think everybody who watched the first one is like, what is going on? What's with this? What's with the music? Why is Kirk on a motorcycle? And everybody's <laughs> like, I was immediately turned off by the trailer. And then I watched the movie and I'm like, this movie's amazing. Like, don't cut a trailer like that. But trailers can make or break a movie. Um, I use this example a lot. And it's uh, the movie White House Down. Did you ever I did see, see that? White House Down. There were two trailers for White House Down. Now, for those who don't remember, this is the one with Jamie Foxx as president and then Channing Tatum as his bodyguard. This Olympus is not has Olympus fallen. Has Fallen, which is the Morgan <laughs> Freeman, Gerard uh, Butler one. Um, anyway, there were two trailers. The first trailer made this movie look like Olympus Has Fallen, a hardcore, intense, terrorist threat level film. And I just didn't care it just didn't grab me and then the second trailer came out that made it look like essentially you know oh like bad boys meets die hard kind of kind of film and it just looked super fun and i went and i saw it and it was the latter of those two concepts um beyond was a similar situation where you know the trailer company usually gets parts of the film because the movie's not done yet and they're told a general concept and they have to take what they've been given and make something coherent out of it. Um, and sometimes they do a good job. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's an impossible job to begin with. And I think the fact that the 2009 film had that teaser you were talking about that was completely separate from the film, they were able to set whatever tone they wanted. Whereas with Beyond, they were given a lot of shots that probably didn't require too many visual effects they didn't want to give away too much of the film as far as, you know, the Franklin is concerned and, and crawl and all that. Um, and they were left in a difficult spot. But I mean, that aside, the Kelvin timeline movies each did progressively worse at the box office. You know, the 2009 film made 257.7 million domestically. And uh, Into Darkness made just 228.7. And then Beyond only made one fifty eight point eight. That's that's a hell of a fall. That's a hundred million less. Now those are still <laughs> than two thousand nine. Those are the top three grossing films though in Star Trek. Number four. Can you guess what the fourth highest grossing Star Trek film is domestically? Is Star Trek four. That's right. I I thought I remembered that for the longest time. <laughs> it was the highest grossing one until two thousand nine. If you adjust for inflation, it's the most successful financial. Well, Star and Trek I think that's another reason why Into Darkness just bugs the shit out of me so much, is aside from the story and the characters. Remember, so Rathacon and Search for Spock are basically two parts of one movie almost. And sure. they're continuing the, the storyline, Spock, all this jazz. And then comes Star Trek Four. They took a chance on a movie about environmental protection in Wales. I, I mean, there's that movie would not be Grinlit today. I'm so, I'm just calling it. If you went if you went to Paramount today. <laughs> Like we're gonna make a movie where Kirk goes back in time and him and Spock save whales. People, the the parent, the executives would be like, no, this doesn't, no, no, we're not doing this. And yet, it's all consistently regarded as one of the greatest Star Trek films or Star Trek products ever made. It's made fans of Star Trek of people who never liked Star Trek with Star Trek Four because they took a chance. The chance worked. Whereas Into Darkness was like somebody with a scorecard or a little tick box clipboard, as I like to call it. How many of these things can we get into our movie? Okay. uh recognizable villain con check uh lead character with random emotional problems kirk check we don't know about the emotional problems we're just told they exist remember right, show right. don't tell uh introduce attractive female sidekick dr carol marcus check it's like they literally somebody was going through a checkbox of all the stuff they have to include mm -hmm. evil father who's also the admiral check it's like literally everything you can shoehorn into a movie they did and star trek 4 <laughs> is the exact opposite and it's like they took a chance on everything. What about if Earth is in danger from a probe and we go back in time and save some whales? Fuck it. Just film it. <laughs> and, and, and what if we have them wander around, you know, San Francisco in 1986 so we can save some money? Fine. What if we don't tell all the extras what the hell's happening and so people have natural reactions? <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> I mean, oh, you, see what I, you see what I mean is... It, oh yeah you can tell when a movie takes a chance and that's well that's another reason i'll give 2009 so much credit they took a shit ton of chances you know they 
they That's kind true. of hyped up the characters a bit. They uh, they kind of made people a little bit, maybe a little bit more arrogant, a little bit more abrasive. There's a little bit more action and combat. Things are faster, but those chances for the most part worked. And then Into Darkness felt mm-hmm. so formulaic. And I think that threw everybody off that when they get stepped back to Beyond, where Beyond is again, where they're like, I got an idea. The Enterprise is flying through a cloud with an alien and they encounter a swarm species <laughs> and the Enterprise crashes. And you know, there's some producer out there like, whatever, just film it. But it was creative. It had style. It had it had interactive people. It had fun characters. It had fun story. Very close to Star Trek that we know and love. And it's sandwiched. I think that's what hurt it was people didn't like Into Darkness. And then people saw that first trailer and they got immediately yeah. turned off and they just didn't see it. And it's a shame. If you're a Star Trek fan and you don't buy Star Trek Beyond, buy it. It's on iTunes. It's on Amazon. It's $9. Is it really only nine dollars? Probably, it might be on sale or something. Well, I mean, I think you make a really good point, and I think, I think, the voyage home. I think this is a good parallel. The voyage home is so successful because, I mean, it's really made with love. It's it's a it's a love letter to the characters in that film. It's barely star trek right because most of it takes place in the 80s so there's very little techno babble trek no babble there's really no aliens of any kind um other than spock of course you know and it all is about those characters outside of their comfort zone trying to save the world right there are cowboy diplomacy heroes once again and because of that there's some really fun moments you know there's the double dumbass on you and there's the hello computer and he's you know spock swimming with the whales and you know like there's just there's so many fun moments and there's fun moments in 09 and there's fun moments in beyond but there aren't really any fun moments in into darkness and i think part of the reason is who made those movies you know, Justin Lin came in and a lot of people, myself included, were concerned at first because he was the Fast and the Furious guy. And while I've enjoyed the earlier Fast and the Furious movies for the most part, they, they lost me at seven. Um, <laughs> at seven, not six, but seven. <laughs> I like five and six. Four, five and six are, are ridiculous fun. They really are. But seven just is too much for me. Um Anyway. Is that the one with the tank that can go 100 miles um, an hour on the highway? The, ta- the tank is okay, six. Okay, the tank is six. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, continue. Sorry. Um, anyway, so uh, I was concerned, though, because Fast and the Furious and Star Trek seemed like two very, very different things to me. But then I listened to some interviews and read some interviews and realized Justin Lin is a Trekkie. He's you and me. He loves the franchise. And when I realized that, I immediately became comfortable with it again. Because we had just had two movies by a guy who was quoted on national television saying he didn't like Star Trek. <laughs> he was not a Star a good Trek comparison, fan. yeah. You know, there's a whole there's a there's a whole clip with him on the Daily Show with John Stewart where John Stewart's like, I'm just gonna stop you right there. I heard you say I don't like Star Trek, and then I stopped listening and assume you apologized. <laughs> like, you know, because because it never made sense to me that a guy of all the Trekkies out there who had grown up with Star Trek, who were now adults in the entertainment industry. Of all of them, they gave it to the Star Wars guy who doesn't like Star Trek. You want a Star Wars guy? Hey, we both love Star Wars. We both love Star Trek. Those people exist too. But they like almost, it was almost like Paramount went out of their way to find a guy who didn't like the source material. Yeah, I mean, where you could have picked any number (laughs) of modern day directors that have admitted they love Star Trek and still have a goofy side to them. You know, I know he's going through some troubles right now, but back in the day, Joss Whedon, he was at his high point that back sure. then, or uh, John Favreau, who did Iron Man. I mean, all of these kind of people are admitted Star Trek fans, or, I mean, hell, there's plenty of options out there that it's not going to be somebody who goes on screen and says, I don't like Star Trek. <laughs> right? Like, like at least you know, Nicholas Meyer, who, of course, is responsible for the Wrath of Khan and the Undiscovered Country, he's not a Trekkie. But he never, like, said, I don't like Star Trek. I mean, he, <laughs> you know? yeah, he understands what the story and the characters are supposed to be about. And I think that was the real problem. So then you, you go from the 09 movie, which had, like I said, a ton of work to do. It had to set up this whole universe. So I think Abrams and crew were too busy with that task at hand to really bumble it up too much from a tone perspective. But then in Into Darkness, to your point, like, the, of the checklist, it was like... 
these guys didn't know the franchise. They didn't know the characters or anything like that. So like, well, what are we going to do? Hey, isn't, isn't there like a wrath of Khan that's like really popular? Yeah, that's that's a big one. People like that one, right? Well, what if we like kind of redid that? that that's exactly what they did. It did you feel know? formulaic. It felt it felt like there was some <laughs> dude, some seventy year old chain smoking dude from an executive with a clipboard making sure they included certain things. And that's that's what the movie feels like today. I even watched it like a couple months ago, and I got through it. But I was like, man, this feels so. It doesn't feel natural. And then you you get to Beyond, where Justin Lin comes in and. Man, like, there are so many references to to Star Trek. You know, there's the giant green hand in space. There's uh, Chekhov making the the joke about vodka being invented by a little woman from Russia, and you know, the episodic joke, for example, the the idea that Kirk and Spock need each other in very different ways. Um, there's just just tonally. It was so perfectly set in the franchise um, that while I will be very sad if we don't see these versions of the characters again and I don't get to see Jayla grow as a character, I will be very sad for that. If these had to come to a close, Beyond's a pretty good place. Beyond is a pretty good place. And like you said, I agree with you. I'm sad that if they're never going to make another Kelvin film, it's... You know, and I know Discovery has its ups and downs and like 2009. I mean, the Kelvin universe had its ups and downs and there's plenty of people to defend it and support it. And Beyond was an excellent film and it's one of my favorite Star Treks. So I, I, I enjoy watching them and I will still watch all three. I just struggle through Into Darkness a little bit more. It doesn't grab it doesn't grab me. Um <laughs> I do want to say I don't want to forget that Simon Pegg who plays Scotty, of course, in the Kelvin films, also helped write Beyond. And he is a huge Trekkie himself. And so, you know, the two of them, you know, Simon Pegg along with Justin Lin, having two Trekkies helm that story, uh, I think helped a lot. I would agree with you, good sir. Um, so, you know, we're, we're nearing the hour mark here. We've, we've kind of bounced all over the place. Um is there for you, Greg, who do you think from the, the, the main cast, who do you think did the best job of bringing that character back to life, whether it's their own take or you think they you know, handled it well? Who do you think was your favorite? Oh, goodness. That's a tough one, because I think Zachary Quinto did an amazing job as Spock, but I think I, I, he's not my favorite. I would... I would have to go either with Anton Yelchin as Chekhov because I, th- I think I think he captured that youthful spirit that kind of early Chekhov had and a little nervous, a little anxious, a little uh, unsure of himself. But I will say I think Chris Pine did a really good job as Kirk. I think I think they over sexualized him, you know, maybe just a wee bit too much. Uh, but but I do think Chris Pine nailed the parts of Kirk where. He's kind of fiery and he's kind of passionate about his ship and crew. He's a little arrogant because every captain's going to be a little arrogant. So uh, to me, it's a tie between Anton Yelchin and Christopher Pine. Those are great thoughts. Um, yeah, I mean, I, just to not gloss over it, Anton Yelchin, of course, was wonderful. And uh, his losing him at such a young age, you know, is, is definitely really sad. Um I, if they do another movie, I hope they find a good way to handle it. It's not an easy task. Um, and I'm not sure there's a right way. I'm sure there's plenty of wrong ways, but, um, uh, but yeah, I think, I think for me, it's, it's a tough one, right? You know, you've got Carl Urban who just channels the hell out of DeForest Kelly, um, as Bones, which is just impressive. I, I think if I had to pick a personal favorite, it probably is Zachary Quinto as Spock, um, I think he might have had the hardest task simply because Spock has been in more Star Trek than most other characters with maybe the exception of Worf and stepping into the shoes of, if not the most iconic Star Trek character, the second most iconic Star Trek character uh, was no easy task. And he has a very complex character between 
losing his family in the 09 film, learning how he entered Starfleet, uh, his relationship with Uhura, um, you know, things of that nature. I, I loved him. I thought he was awesome. Um, what about other characters, characters who were not part of the main cast, so to speak, the main original crew? Do you have a favorite from them? Oh, probably any, Jayla any three. From, yeah. <laughs> from, from, from Star Trek Beyond. I loved her. I thought she was entertaining. I thought I understood her character. I like that she was kind of fierce, but uh, I she was a great addition. I was kind of hoping if they had her in Star Trek Four, she'd be in like an acting ensign's uniform or something on the Enterprise, and we could have still gotten to see her because I thought she was a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. I think for all of those reasons, um, she her, her design look was super cool too. It was very unique. It was not, you know, forehead of the week or anything like that. It was really unique and, and detailed. Um, I think if I was going to give an honorable mention to somebody just to bring in another name, uh, I think it would be Bruce Greenwood as uh, Captain Pike or Admiral Pike. Um, even in Into Darkness, he might might be my favorite part of Into Darkness. I thought. But he did a fantastic job. And prior to Anson Mount, I thought he was perfect. And now Anson Mount comes in and does a stellar job uh, as Pike in Discovery. So, you know, that's 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 that. But um, OK, when, anything else you want to touch on in our Kelvin timeline retrospective? You know, I think what's sad to me is. We're always going to have this little bubble of Star Trek called the Kelvin Universe. And it's always going to be that little blip on everybody's radar that nobody is quite sure even today how to handle. They don't know how to talk about it. They just refer to it as Kelvin Timeline, even on Reddit, on forums and all this jazz. But they've never done anything else with it. And I think it was another reminder to me that while I don't agree with everything that's going on in Discovery, there's certain advantages to just staying in the main timeline. Because, you know, no matter what, there's always going to be a Captain Saru and a Michael Burnham and all this jazz that resonates with the fan base because of the prime timeline. And so with the Kelvin timeline, I hope they make a fourth one. I know once you start hitting that five, six, seven year gap between sequels, it gets a little rough. But who knows? We've been surprised before. Maybe they'll me <laughs> excuse me, maybe Disco Three Season Three will do amazing. And they'll be like, We need five more Kelvin timeline movies. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I think you're right. You know, we're th- almost three years out now from beyond, you know, we had 2009, uh, 2013, and then 2016 were the three movies, May, May, and July. And so there's still some time, uh, you know, for them to do it. Of course, there's some contractual issues. Things are different to your point earlier. You know, Chris Pine has become a bit of an A-lister and, um, you know, things get complicated. Uh, I would like to see more, but the Kelvin timeline is a complicated thing. And it wasn't until we got the new encyclopedia from the Yakutas that, uh, the Yakutas, excuse me, that it's an official timeline. That's the Kelvin timeline is the official name for it. So that's good. But yeah, I mean, it always kind of like discovery begged the question of why not just do something after, you know, do something farther in the future. Do that way you can do whatever you want. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about that more with discovery too. It's just kind of a common thread of, of the prequel problem. You know, uh, you don't have to worry about continuity. You don't have to worry about design changes or, or timeline issues. If you just jump ahead into the future, <laughs> you know, yeah, or, or if you're going to make a show, you make it parallel to the timeline of when Voyager's in the Delta quadrant and a little bit after DS nine, even though they kind of happen parallel and you throw it, it's adventuring in the beta quadrant instead of the alpha quadrant or something, but you don't, you don't go 150 years in the past or hundred years in the past and, and try not to screw with Canon. Cause you're going to, even if you don't mean to. And us Trekkies, I mean, a lot of us are going to pay attention to that because, you know, we don't really have much else to do sometimes, but other times it's just because we care a lot about the franchise and we've been told that Canon is a thing, you know, and if Canon is a thing, then we should try and protect it. But, if we uh, didn't care, we wouldn't be on episode 69 of Red Shirts and Runabouts. <laughs> that is definitely true. That is definitely true. So, all right. Well, happy 10th anniversary to the Kelvin timeline. I hope we do see a fourth film with this crew and, and cast. Um, next week, I guess we're going to be doing our Star Trek Discovery Season 2 wrap-up. That Yes, we are. 
Awesome. Awesome. And then after that, we're going to start diving into some different types of topics. We're going to be focusing on more kind of original concepts that we can kind of talk freely about without being, without focusing too much on just reviewing episodes and things like that. So look forward, looking forward to, to that. it. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think, you know, a lot of fans talk about the same stuff we do and we get to kind of give our little spin to it. Yeah. Should be What's good. your favorite warp nacelle? You know, I mean, come on. Is it the blue ones or the green ones or the red ones? I mean, <laughs> this is what people talk about. We know they do. I mean, as silly as it is, I like that Voyagers move. <laughs> <laughs> like the swept wings of the F-14 or the F-111. I gotcha. Well, you know, in the intro, you know, the, the ship's kind of, you know, the, makes the sound as the nacelle, the, the pylons move up, you know, and it warps out. I just, it's silly, but I love it. <laughs> hey, I'm almost through season four of my rewatch and it's, it's really reawakened my love for Voyager, so. Nice. Nice. I'm in season two, about halfway uh, through season two of my DS9 rewatch, so. There you go. Yeah. All right, Greg. I think that's it for us. Yeah, it's good to be back. Uh, appreciate everybody sticking around for episode 69 of Red Shirts and Runabouts. We're part of the Heroes Podcast Network. Uh, you can find us, you know, on Google Play. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us even by just going to Google and literally just typing in Red Shirts and Runabouts. It'll bring up the main Heroes podcast page and the Red Shirts and Runabouts page where you can find a link to basically almost any one of your favorite podcast apps. I mean, we're, we're actually getting enough listeners where the traffic is redirecting us to our website. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Heroes Run, Heroes Run, Heroes Run Shirts and Runabouts. There we go. <laughs> at the Heroes Podcast Network, Red Shirts and Runabouts. Uh, we're both pretty active on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at Red Shirts Pod. Or Derek, if they want to find you to talk to you directly, how do they do that? I am the Star Trek dude, and I'm on Twitter a lot. I also uh, co-host Screen Heroes, which is the Heroes Podcast Network's resident uh, film podcast series. We focus a lot on superhero sci-fi type stuff, so you know there's probably some interest crossover there. One cool note: we are now on Spotify, which actually works really well with podcasts. So you should check that out. I'm that's where I'm starting to download our episodes now. It's a good thing you reminded me. Nice. Uh, and you you can find me on Twitter at the underscore bittersteel. So it's good to be back. Uh, we'll be back again next week. Uh, you know, today is May 7th, so we'll be recording again May 14th. But again, it's good to be back. And uh, we will catch you all next week. Hey, friends. This is Cam, one of the hosts of the Gamer Heroes podcast. We really hope you're enjoying the show you're listening to right now. And if you are, please consider becoming a patron of the Heroes Podcast Network at patreon.com slash heroespodcasts. Your support would genuinely mean the world to us and would allow us to cover hosting costs for the website, get new equipment and software, and even make it out to different conventions and events to meet you, our loyal listeners. All Patreon tiers will get you access to the Patron Lounge in Slack, which will allow you to chat and interact with your favorite HPN hosts. On behalf of everyone here at HPN, thank you all so much for your continued support. We really couldn't do any of this without you. Red Shirts and Runabouts is part of the Heroes Podcast Network and is hosted by Gregory Bosco and me, Derek Mayer. The music is by Flying Killer Robots. Please follow us at Red Shirts Pod on Twitter, or at Heroes Podcasts on Facebook, Instagram, or HeroesPodcasts.com. You can subscribe to our show on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spreaker, and pretty much any other podcast app. If you enjoy the show, please support us. We have a Patreon at Patreon.com slash Heroes Podcasts, and we also have a coffee ko-fi.com slash heroes podcast. We'll catch you next time. Live long and prosper.